0: Welcome to Salem First Assembly podcast. May this week's message by our guest speaker be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Well, good morning. It's a joy to have these missionaries with us today.
1: You know, God works all things well in life. He really does. And I just want to let you know, sometimes things happen and you don't know why they happen, but God has ordained so many
0: things. And I'm very glad that you guys are here this day, honestly, because it really comes at a perfect timing. It really does. And um, so we're going to let's put your hands together and welcome the Tabers. You need a chair? We appreciate the Tabers, They've been one of our missionaries for a long time.
1: 20 plus years. 20 plus
0: years, yeah. I think they were one of the first
1: missionaries we put, when I came here, we put on, actually. So you're as old as I am, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so may you enjoy their ministries. They're a beautiful couple. Thanks. Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, I, I I, was, if I was, I was thinking, you know, if I was pastor here and I was putting together this, I would have been tempted to put... Missionary Troy Tabor, take two. Uh, you know, let's try this again. For those of you who don't know, two weeks ago we were supposed to be here, and it just we got confused. And i you know, it's we've been missionaries almost thirty years, and have, I, it, when you have something new happen that's never happened before, that's that's interesting, and that was a new thing. We'd never gone to the wrong church, preached an entire sermon, and came out, and then realized we were in a different place than we thought we were. That was. <laughs> That was quite shocking, (laughs) but I'm thrilled to be here uh, today. Um, Let me introduce my wife, Lisa. Lisa, you want to stand up and say hi? It's good to be here. My wife and I have been missionaries in Cambodia. Uh, We first arrived there in January of 1994, and Cambodia is only about the size of the state of Oklahoma. It's not real big. It has about 16 million people who live there. And it's a country that in the last 50 years has just seen incredible tragedy and incredible changes taking place. Back in the late 1960s, the Vietnam War spilled over Cambodia's borders, ignited a civil war in Cambodia that led to a group called the Khmer Rouge coming to power in 1979, um, excuse me, 1975. And they were in power for about three years, and they were a radical communist group that during those three years they systematically killed one quarter of the population of the country. One out of every four people killed in a three-year period. And then in 1979, the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia, forced the Khmer Rouge out of power, and the Civil War reignited that lasted all the way until 1999. And finally, the last group surrendered in 1999, and and nobody can doubt the tragedy that 30 years, 30 plus years of civil war and genocide will cause to a country. It's huge. Uh, But to recover from that kind of a tragedy, one of the things that you need is peace and stability. And we have had peace in Cambodia since 1999, but stability hasn't been there. Uh, We have seen so much change in the last 20 years in Cambodia since 1999. It's just amazing. Um, It it is astounding to me how different it is. Back when we first came to Cambodia in 1994, uh, we were lucky if we had electricity an hour or two a day. Um, You know, the capital city there was... Uh, there was maybe three or four restaurants in the capital city that we would trust to eat at uh, without getting sick. Um, there were a couple paved roads outside of the capital. The Civil War was going on. You traveled and escorted convoys, uh, armed escorted convoys if you went out of the city. It was just a very different place. Today, you know, in Cambodia, I'll wake up. We live on a, in a high-rise apartment building on the seventh floor, and uh, we can. I'll go sit out on my balcony and drink my coffee and look out over the city and at the mall just, uh, you know, half a mile from our house that has the IMAX theater and the Krispy Kreme donut and the, and the Carl's Jr. in it. You know, it's just crazy the changes that have taken place. It's changed so rapidly. Um, there's now an emerging middle class. There's cell phones everywhere. You know, we never had a phone when we first went. Um, it's just incredible changes. And what sociologists tell you is that that pace of change is as traumatic for people typically as something like a war. So what happens is you have all these people coming out of this war and this genocide and then they don't have the stability that they need to recover. They've had this traumatic pace of change taking place so that today in Cambodia over 47 percent of the population have unresolved post-traumatic stress disorder. You might know somebody who was in the war in Afghanistan or Iraq and, and that, that struggles with PTSD. Now imagine that every other person you meet on the street has that. And that's where Cambodia is at. Over 40% have uh, major anxiety disorders. Over 11% clinical depression. Uh, suicide is off the chart. And you can go on and on and on. The problems that are there are just overwhelming. But we serve a God who can overcome any problems, and and it's not overwhelming Him by any stretch. Um, one of the great changes that's taken place there is really in the church in 1994, when we first arrived in Cambodia, there were only about 140 evangelical churches in the entire country. Today, there's almost 4,000 churches in Cambodia. That's, this is on, right? You guys did hear that. I mean, that's something I can get excited about. Um, You know, going from 140 churches to almost 4,000 churches, that's great. Uh, We still have problems, but wow, the, 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 the changes that are taking place. And that doesn't mean the job is done. Far from it. That still is less than 2% of the population. Still leaves broad areas of the country that have never had a, a, a real gospel witness. Um, that have never really heard the name of Jesus, had the opportunity to uh, accept him as Lord and Savior. And my wife and I have done a number of things since we first arrived. When we first went into the country, we ran an orphanage of about 120 kids, ranging in age from, from, about, from newborns all the way up to about 20 years old. Uh, we've done church planting. We've Done media ministry. That's been our main focus over the last 15 years or so. Um, and media ministry basically means anything that helps the church communicate more effectively with the world around them. So we've done everything from full length evangelistic films that have been released in theaters to music videos reaching out to youth to children's radio and TV programs to distance education programs for Bible colleges in Cambodia. Um, you name it, we've probably done it at some point in Cambodia. Um, And we still are working with that. And even with uh, COVID and the pandemic, uh, the need for churches to adapt and do something online to reach the people is something that happened in Cambodia as well as here in the States. So we've been busy with that, helping churches to adapt to uh, the changing circumstances around them. But we're excited about some other things that are taking place. We do a lot of work with media still. We do a lot of training and discipleship and and uh, uh, mentoring of new missionaries. But one thing that we're going to be doing when we go back is we're heading up a new church planting team that's going to be planting a church in the province of Gait in Cambodia. And this province has never had an Assemblies of God church. We'll be planting the first church, uh, Assembly of God church in that capital city of Gait. And uh, we're excited about that. I want to show you a real quick video that just lets you see some of the people in the area around there so that you can... uh, get those faces burned into your hearts and pray for them the way we are. Um, So go ahead and roll that video. Gaip is a provincial capital on Cambodia's southern coast. Once a glamorous resort for Cambodia's rich and famous, Gaip still bears the scars of the Khmer Rouge years and is still recovering from decades of war and violence. Ninety-five percent of the Cambodian population of Gaip is Buddhist. The town is made up of fishermen, farmers, children, teenagers, and adults. Almost all of whom have never had the chance to know Jesus. But imagine if that could change. There has never been an Assemblies of God Church in the entire province of Gaip. But today, a church planting team is being formed to open this new area to the Kingdom of God. With your partnership and support, imagine what God can do in Geith. It's exciting to see God's hand involved in all of this. We, um, we've taken a number of trips down there uh, before we left the field to come back for our deputation cycle. And and uh, it seemed like God would line up things one after another in just incredible ways. And we just had our two other uh, missionaries who are going to be working with us on this church planting team are in Cambodia right now. They they just returned, and, and uh, the one is a family with four kids, and they just went down to Cape to check things out this past week. And uh, again, God just opened doors uh, to be there. You have to have a good reason to be there, and and have good favor with the government to be able to operate. and And they came down, and they were looking for a house, and it's hard to find a house for that large of a family that's in a safe area, that's affordable, and these kind of things. And as they're looking around. They spent three days looking and not finding anything. And then on the last day, they found a place that was nearly perfect. Turns out it's the governor's house. The governor owns it and wants to rent it to them and and came down to what they were wanting to rent for. Um, And again, it just seems God's lining things up to give us favor in this new church planning effort. And we're excited about what God has in store for us. And we're excited because this is part of why we got into missions in the first place. I mean, it really is the reason is to take the gospel where it's never been. That's the call that God put on our hearts uh, all those years ago when we were in Bible school is to go and take the gospel where it hasn't been to share with people who've never heard and to be able to do that again. Uh, in K- Cambodia, there's lots of, of people that haven't, you know, that, that that fits. And it's not that we stop telling people about Jesus, but it's but it's just going into a new place again. Uh, that's, that's part of of part of what God's call is on our hearts. And how we respond to God's call is an important thing. It's an important thing for every one of us, not just for missionaries, not just for pastors. It's an important th- thing for you. No matter where you are in life, how you respond to God is an, God's call is a critical part of our Christian walk. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about that this morning. And I'm going to be looking at the story of Jonah because there's few people in the Bible... Who uh, can really, you can really learn about how you respond to God's call in the way that you can by looking at Jonah. Jonah's an interesting book in the Bible, it's an interesting story. Um, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and outside of the book of Jonah, he's only mentioned one other time in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14. He gives a prophecy to the king of Israel. That the Israel is going to recover some of their lands that they had lost. And they do. It comes to pass, they recover those lands. And so that's a good thing. I mean, if you're a prophet, uh, a lot of times you look, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see the prophets you know, telling the king they need to repent and do this. And, and it get, works out really badly for the prophet. They'll throw him in prisons and things like that. Well, that wasn't this. This was, hey, king, things are going to go well for you. And they go well for the king. Jonah's got to be sitting pretty, it's a good deal. And he lives kind of right between Judah in the south and and Israel in the north. And uh, he gives this prophecy. He's in a good place. And then the word of God comes to him again. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was a big city. It was one of the most powerful cities in the Old Testament. It eventually would become the the capital of the Assyrian Empire, uh, and they were known for their brutality, for for their cruelty. When they would go in and attack a place, if they came in and attacked your city, they would kill most of the people and whoever was left alive. They would take you out of your homes, ship you to other parts of their empire, and force you to be a refugee. So if they were coming after your city, you knew your city was done for. And that all of life was going to change. Whether you lived or died, it was all over. And so this was the kind of brutal people they were. And they were so violent that it had come up before God. And God calls to Jonah to go and uh, prophesy to them. And how does Jonah respond? In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He literally goes in the opposite direction. For those of you who don't know your geography in the New Testament, the Old Testament times, and the Bible lands, then goes up to the north, the south. He goes over to Joppa to the coast, gets on a boat, and literally goes as far away from God and from where God wants him to go as is humanly possible. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, it shocks me that he would do that. Why? would he do that? Why would he run like that? Well, I mean, certainly part of it, he was probably afraid. I mean, I'm sure that played into it some, but there's more things in it that we're going to see in the story than just being afraid. But he goes and he gets on this ship, and you guys know the story. He gets on the ship and he's sailing. They sail out and they head for Tarshish and, and a storm. God sends a storm to come up on the sea. Is, is incredibly severe. It's so severe that it's obvious it's not just a natural phenomenon. It's obvious to the sailors that there's something supernatural about this storm, that it's bad. And so, and, and, and a, a god of some kind is angry in the situation. So these sailors, they start calling out to all their gods they serve. Now, I, I love these sailors in the story because it reminds me of the Cambodian people. You know, if you have, uh, you know, a place like Cambodia, it's, it's 95% Buddhist. But it still has, uh, most of the people also have some animistic practices that they've mixed in with it. That means that they worship, you know, a a spirit that lives in that tree over there. Or this big rock has a spirit there, this piece of ground. And you've got to appease all these spirits so they don't harm you. If something's going on, you know, if if you don't appease them, bad luck is going to befall you. Something's going to happen to you. So, so. This idea that something bad is starting to happen to these sailors and they start calling out to all their gods, that's just like Cambodia. They start calling out to all these spirits that are around that, that, they might, that might be affecting them, and, and, and they're really afraid. They, they start calling out to all these gods and nothing's happening. They're not getting anywhere. And, and, and uh, the captain says, well, let's, let's, let's take lots. Let's throw lots to see who it is that can tell us what the problem is. Either we identify the problem or the person who can tell us what the problem is. And so they cast lots and it falls to Jonah. And so they come up to Jonah and say, Jonah, what's going on here? We know when you got on the boat, you told us you're running from your God. What's the story there? Who is this God that you're running from? Because they're used to, okay, I serve, right, you, you know, if you're going over to that area, you, you you appease that spirit. If you're going over to that area, you appease that spirit. They say, who is this God that you're talking about? And he says, well, I serve the God that made all the heavens and all the earth and all the sky. Well, that, that kind of freaks out these sailors. <laughs> They're a little upset. They say, you, you serve who? And you, you, you're running from him with us? That's crazy. What, what, what can we do? What should we do to stop this from happening? And he says, well, you can take me and you can throw me overboard. And these sailors... Despite them being a bunch of heathen, they're, they're, you know, they're serving all kinds of different gods, even they, they're, they're like, well, come on, Jonah. We, even we know killing somebody is a bad thing. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We don't want to kill you. And so they, they try to find some other way around this. They actually try to row him to shore to, to save Jonah's life. Jonah's put them in this danger, and they have compassion enough on him that they're trying to save his life and do everything they can to do it, and it doesn't work. It's not working. They can't get to shore. And finally, they're back, on the, they're back in the boat, and they're saying, well, this isn't working. We don't have any choice. Um, and Jonah's like, Go, throw me over. And they cry out to God and say, God, don't hold this against us. We tried everything we could. And they throw Jonah overboard. Now remember, they're scared already. They're scared. They've been calling out to their gods this storm, the supernatural storm's going on, and they're like, okay, throw me overboard. They throw them overboard, and all of a sudden the storm stops. If you weren't scared already at that point, you'd be terrified, (laughs) right? I mean, it's like, okay, this is... (laughs) I thought it was this, but now I know it is this. And who is this God that we're in the hand of? And it says they realize... That God is, this is something more than just your spirit who's in a little area somewhere. And it says they they make sacrifices and call out to God and make vows to him. They basically, you know, come around to, to putting God in his proper place. And Jonah's sitting there in the water. He lands in the water, the storm stops. I don't know how well he treads water, but he's probably sitting there treading water for a minute. And I'm sure these guys call out to God, you know, make vows to God. And then they kind of look over, what happened to Jonah? There he is in the water. And you can just kind of almost see this, you know, it's like, hey, Jonah. And then this big fish comes up and swallows Jonah. Now, this is amazing to me, this whole idea of being swallowed by a whale. I grew up watching, you know, the, the Disney cartoons and I watched Pinocchio. You ever watch Pinocchio. And you know in, in Pinocchio there's this, this scene where Geppetto and Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket are sitting inside the whale's stomach and there's like a little shack they're sitting at on the porch fishing in the whale's stomach. Remember that? That's not the way it was. right? That's not how it was for Jonah at all. I mean just imagine what this would be like. It's absolutely pitch black. There is no light at all. You're in there. There's, there's everything pressing up against you. The flesh of this whale. And not just, think of it like this. You ever have, you ever go and eat like, a, uh, you know, like chili or something spicy and later on your stomach starts rumbling and you can just feel it moving around? Now imagine you're inside of that. That's Jonah. I mean, this, these muscles are, are pushing against him and moving around. There's noises the smells would be there. The, the stinging on your skin and, the, and, and and in your lungs from the acids, stomach acids, and all these things going on. I mean, it, it would have been horrible. I can't imagine a worse place. But what's incredible about this is Jonah's response. You know, Jonah, like I said, he was probably afraid running from him, but there's more to it than that. Because he gets in the whale and it takes him... Three days before he prays. We're all like, oh, he he gets in the whale's belly and he prays and God delivers. It took him three days to pray. He was that stubborn about it. I'm sorry, the fish starts to come up, I'm praying. Right? I mean, it's not going to take me three days in the whale's stomach to pray, but it does for Jonah. And it's not just a thing that he waits three days to pray, look at his prayer. His prayer is crazy. I mean, it, it take, he, they have it recorded, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We're not going to read it all right now. But, but the thing is, it's, it's, what's amazing is not what he prays, but what he doesn't pray. Because he prays and he says, where can I go from you, God? I can't go to the depths of the sea, to the, you're there, to the heights of the heavens, you're there. You're everywhere. You're God. But never once does he say, God, I was wrong. Never once does he say, God, I'm sorry. Never once does he say, God, if I had it to do over, I'd do it different. Never once does he say, God, I'll go now. Nothing. Never once does he say, God, forgive me. Nothing. That's astounding to me. He waits three days to pray, and then when he prays, he prays this prayer that acknowledges who God is, but never acknowledges his own condition. But thankfully, we serve a God who is a God of grace and mercy. And that's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God decides to give Jonah a second chance. And so in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God saved him. He said, all right, Jonah, I'm going to give you another chance. And not just I'm going to give you another chance at life, but let's read a little further. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So not only does God say, look, I'm going to give you another chance at life, but he says, I'm going to give you another chance to do what I'm calling you to do. And Jonah this time says, okay. And it's just okay. I mean, it's not like, yes, God, I'm going. It's it's all right, God. Because it's the most half-hearted effort I've ever seen. He goes and it says it takes three days to go throughout this city, it's so big, and he goes throughout the city and basically preaches an eight-word sermon, and that's all. He literally says the bare minimum. He goes throughout the city. In verse uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, this is what he said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't tell them who's angry at them. He doesn't tell them what they need to do to change. He doesn't say, you've got a shot at maybe forgiveness, God's God of grace, of mercy, none of that. He basically says, you're all going to die in 40 days. See ya. Unbelievable. But what's even more unbelievable is that God uses even that and and uses it and the entire city of Nineveh turns to God as a result of this half-hearted message. It's incredible. The people hear it and they start putting on sackcloth and ashes and repenting. That's great. The king hears and the king says, we're, we're doing this they start he starts fasting and putting on sackcloth and ashes and repenting the king the people and here's my favorite part because I've never seen this happen I've never seen it happen anywhere else in the Bible but it happens here and I've never seen it happen in any revival I've seen in America or any place around the world the king orders that all the livestock in the in the town in the city put on sackcloth ashes and fast as well I mean can you, Tell me when the last time you were at a service and, 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 and you guys had a revival, God was moving and the pastor says, all right, go home and make sure your dog fasts. Doesn't happen. But this is what happens. This is an incredible turnaround. These people are so serious about getting right with God that they're like, anything, we'll do anything. We want to make sure we're not missing anything. Even our livestock is going to fast. Even our livestock is going to have, have, have uh, sackcloth and ashes on. We want to make sure we get right with God. We're going to do everything we possibly can. And 120,000 people turn around and are saved and, and, and start serving God in this, this moment here, at least, at least right here in this time. They're repenting and changing their heart. That's incredible. An entire city turns around. This is the biggest revival recorded in the Bible. That entire city turns around in three days. Amazing. Amazing. If I was a part of that, man, I'm telling you, I'd be excited. I'm excited about being a part of what happens in Cambodia with 140 churches to 4,000 churches in just a few years. That's incredible. But this, I can tell you, boy, I'd be excited. I'd be thrilled. And how does Jonah react? It's not how Jonah sees it. In verse chapter 3, uh, verse 10 It says God saw what the the Ninevites did and uh, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God forgives them. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I can't believe it. This guy is ticked off. Because God has saved him. And he goes even further than that. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Oh, here's the reason. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, now, O Lord, please, Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is the original drama queen. I mean, it's ridiculous. But did he catch what he said? He said, this is the reason I fled. Because I knew you'd forgive them, God. I knew if they turned, that you'd forgive them. This explains his half-hearted message. It explains a lot. Basically, he's a bigot. He's saying, Jews, sure, but we're the people of God. Those Assyrians, no, forget it. I, don't, I, I want your wrath on them, God. I'd rather see them dead. And he's not willing to even lift a finger for them. Only out of grudgingly does he do anything after God had a whale swallow him in the middle of the sea. And now he has the audacity to say, God, this is so bad, just kill me now. Because it's better than living with these Assyrians being alive. Unbelievable. I'm just shocked. Whenever I read this story about Jonah, how he reacted, he's displeased, he's ungrateful, he's angry, and it's the attitude that he's had all along throughout the entire book. And so Jonah... Goes outside the city, goes a little bit away, but you can still see it, and he sits down, builds a little lean-to thing to get out of the sun a little bit, and sits down and says, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wait and see if you do it. What an attitude. Just the fact that he would do that, to me, is like, you got to be kidding. You, you act like that with God? And he sits there, and God, again, is a merciful and grace, great, great, gracious God. And I'm thankful for that, God's grace and mercy because I know I deserve way worse than I get from God. We all do at different times. But Jonah's sitting there with this attitude, and God kind of says, Well, let's see if I can teach him one more time. Let's have a little fun with him. You've got to think God was thinking I'm going to have a little fun with him just because of the way the story goes. So he has this plant grow up, this vine, to provide shade. Now, remember, he's not sitting there for, like, months. So it's a miraculous thing, right? It's obvious this, this, this plant is growing in a miraculous manner as he's sitting there to come up and cover him with shade. And you can just see Jonah sitting there. And it says he, he, he ple- it pleased him. I bet. I bet he's sitting there going, That's right, God. I deserve that shade. Now... Get on with wiping out the city. (laughs) You know, he's sitting there. uh, Attitude hasn't changed at all yet. Sun goes down. That night, God sends a worm to eat the vine that he just had grow. And so in the morning, when the sun comes up and the wind starts to blow, that thing just shrivels up and falls over. And again, Jonah is ticked off. He is so mad uh, that this worm killed this and again, he, he, he says, um, you know, he, he prays and says, you know, this is ridiculous. He's angry. And he says, I, you should just kill me now, God, because this isn't worth it. The, my, my plant has died. Crazy. And so God, the book ends with God having a conversation with him at the end. Jonah's still angry. And God ends up saying to him, Look. Jonah, this is in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Jonah's still angry. God, says, God confronts him and says, look, you're more concerned, Jonah, about that plant that died than you are about the twenty thousand people in that city that were saved. And the book ends. Very interesting. It doesn't say how Jonah reacted, but whenever I read the story, I can't help but see the huge, huge contrast between Jonah on the one hand and the sailors and the people of Nineveh on the other hand. I mean, think about this. The sailors and the people of Nineveh, they're willing to respond to God. They're willing to respond to God right away when they're confronted with him. Even to the point of saying, I'm going to have... Our animals wear sackcloth and ashes. Jonah, who's a prophet of God, hears the voice of God and refuses to do it, runs away angry, and even then, even after a second chance, chance, only gives God his grudging compliance, doing the bare minimum necessary. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why did God run from? Why did Jonah run from God? Well, we talked about that. That he's, he's uh, obviously bigoted. He's he's got some, uh, you know, real ungrateful heart for what God has done for him. Maybe afraid. It's a lot of things, but he didn't want the discomfort. He didn't want the, the disruption that obeying God was going to cause. Whether it was to his worldview whether it was to his, you know, personal security and stability. He didn't want any of that. He wanted his comfort. He's mad about the plant dying because it's uncomfortable. That's all he's concerned about. You know, we have a friend in Cambodia, a young man named Samat. And Samat, we we met when we first went to Cambodia back in 94. See, Samat grew up in in a town where his mom and dad died and he was taken in by a neighbor lady who kind of served as kind of a a foster mother kind of a thing, an unofficial, there wasn't any system of foster care, but she took him into her home and uh, cared for him as best she could. She didn't really have much either. And um, a little while after she took him in, the government opened an orphanage nearby, and so he was allowed to go to the orphanage. And that was a step up for him because, you know, like I said, she didn't have much, uh, but the Civil War was still going on. This is back in the, in like, late 80s in Cambodia, early 90s. And he was there for a while, and he started to have problems. He started to have shortness of breath. He started to have chest pains and things. And, and he couldn't do as much as the other kids And and it got to the point where he couldn't lay down flat and go to sleep or anything because of the pain and stuff. They actually would put a board like at a 45-degree angle so that he could lay on that, uh, kind of lean on it to sleep. Um, and it was obvious something was wrong. And and so the there was really no healthcare system in the country back then. Like I said, the war was still going on. Um, and so all they had was something called a, a, a groutier, which is like a, Uh, it's kind of like a a traditional healer or witch doctor kind of person. And the orphanage staff took him to the groutier, to this person, and and told him what was happening. The guy, he checked him out, and he says, well, what probably happened is you probably walked across some ground where there was an evil spirit, and you didn't pay homage to that evil spirit, and so you are, they're hurting you. In fact, how do you go to school each day? And the guy, he tells him how he went to school, the roads. he says, you, you ever stop to urinate when you're drive, on the way to school? He says, yeah, By this one tree. He says, well, that tree is a, a sacred tree, and there's a spirit that lives in that tree. You urinated on the sacred tree. That spirit is, is, get, is out to get you. That's why this is happening. So you need, here's what you need to do. And so he told them how he needed to offer these sacrifices. So the orphanage staff Helped him get a chicken and go offer a chicken at the sacred tree where he urinated on the way to school to appease the spirit. And, you know, if you've had any kind of a chronic illness, you know, it kind of goes like this, right? You have good days, you have bad days, right? And and, and so he happened, to, he did this offering and apparently had a good day afterwards. And so he's like, oh, it must have worked. And then he has a bad day and it's like, oh, we got to go do more. And so they started started into this cycle of offering to these evil spirits, trying to do something to help them. And then, about that time, the Assemblies of God came into Cambodia in 1990 and took over the orphanage there in 1991 to uh, run it for the government. And there, um, the missionary who went in to open it up, he started preaching at a church in town. There was a And the the government was happy that we came in to do this orphanage. And there was an old church building that they'd been using as an army barracks. And they said, you can have the church building back. And you guys can use it for a church or whatever. So he started holding meetings in the church building and also teaching English in the Sunday afternoon uh, to get people to come in to share the gospel with them. And so Samad started to go to the church meetings and and to the English language classes afterwards. Not so much because he wanted to know anything about Jesus, but because on Sundays is when the orphans did the chores at the orphanage. And if he went to the church and to the classes, he didn't have to do chores. So he's a good teenager. I want to get out of the chores. I'm going to go to church. Sometimes we do the right things for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and he went to the started going there, and, and, and as time went by, he started to listen more, and he got a Bible, and he started to read it more, and, and it started to open up to him, and he, and he started to believe What it said. And he ended up becoming a Christian and started getting more involved with the church, helping out with outreaches and things they were doing, wanting to study the Bible more and things. And about that time, the missionary brought in a medical team from the U.S. to do a clinic in the village and to check out the kids at the orphanage. And a nurse from Des Moines, Iowa, checked out some out. And she listened to his heart and she said, something's wrong. Something's really wrong here. So she got permission, took them to the capital city. They didn't have much better medical treatment in the capital, but they did have an EKG machine, an x-ray machine. So she got an EKG and a chest x-ray and this kind of thing. And so when she went back to the U.S., to the hospital where she worked in Des Moines, she took all this with her, took these test results, took them to a cardiologist there. And the guy looked at it and he says, he's got a bad heart valve. And it's surprising he's still alive. He's not going to live much longer unless this is taken care of. And to make a long story short, she started doing some checking and things and was able to get the hospital to donate all their services and time and everything, the doctor, the cardiologist to donate his time and everything, and even an airline to donate tickets for him to fly to the U.S. and have this heart valve replacement surgery done at no cost. So he went to the U.S., got this heart valve replacement surgery done. He, in, in Des Moines, Iowa, there's a large Cambodian community, and there's actually a church uh, a Cambodian church among, there, and, and it was two people from this church, a couple who didn't have kids themselves, who took him in while he was there in America and put him up and everything and helped him out. And they, it, it, the time was getting about round about for him to come back to Cambodia. And they met with him and they, they said, hey, we want to talk to you. And they sat down and they said, you know, we really love you, we care about you. We want to help you to stay in America. We're, we want to adopt you. And you can have a family you can have, I think he's like 15, 16 years old at this time. You can have a family. You can, you can have a—you a, a, know a, all the education, the health care you need, educational opportunities. You can have all these things that you'll never have in Cambodia. Because remember, the Civil War is still going on in Cambodia. No electricity, really. No, no education system, not much of an education system. No health care, really. They said, you can have all this. We're going to do all this for you. we we love you, we want to do this for you. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, you know, God's calling me to be a pastor in Cambodia to tell people about Jesus, I need to go back there. And he gave it all up. He left it all. Everything that any Cambodian would ever want. Things that they dream about having. He left it to go back to Cambodia. Went back, Uh, finished high school, ended up going to our Bible school in Cambodia, finished that, started doing church plant in in the capital city of Phnom Penh, had the opportunity to go to Singapore to uh, seminary for a master's degree. He went and did that, came back again to Cambodia, became the dean of students at our Bible college, ended up becoming the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Cambodia. And then uh, now he's pastoring a church that he planted, and he's... he's, uh, um, the head of an organization called Cambodia Global Action. It's a uh, development outreach kind of arm of the Assemblies of God of Cambodia, kind of like, kind of like Convoy of Hope, if you're familiar with them. And so he and he heads that up. He's married. He's got four kids, a beautiful family, um, great friend of ours. But none of that was on the table that day when he sat in that room, that couple's house in Iowa. And they said, hey, we want to adopt you. It wasn't like anybody was saying, okay, on the one hand, Samat, you can be adopted by this family and stay in the U.S., or on the other hand, you can go back to Cambodia and have this huge impact for the kingdom of God. No, none of that was there. It was, you you can be adopted and have all these things you've always dreamed of, or you can go back to Cambodia where nothing's sure, Nobody knows what's going to happen and see how things play out. You know, it's ironic to me that in the story of Jonah, and to some extent as well, that the person with the relationship with God already didn't Wasn't willing to submit to him, rebelled and ran away. And the one who had no relationship with God immediately responded to God's call. The sailors were willing to go out of their way and endanger themselves to try and save Jonah, but Jonah was unwilling to do anything to save the people of Nineveh. It's an amazing contrast. And I can't help but wonder where we fit in it. You know, where do I fit in that? It's, see, it's not just missionaries who are called. It's not just pastors who are called. It's every one of us. You know, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't just talking to me. He wasn't just talking to your pastor, he was talking to all of us. Every single one of us. And the question is, what do you do with that call? How do you respond to God's call? Do you embrace it? Do you run from it? Do you grudgingly, ungratefully submit to it? I, I You know, we, we visit a lot of churches when we're in the States and I it saddens me, but we've been to churches where the pastor has told me afterwards, he says, You know, when we have a missionary coming, I can't tell anybody what missionary's coming because if I do, about half the congregation won't show up. Because they don't want to give, they don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't understand that. God has done so much for us and given us such an opportunity to be born in America to hear the gospel, to be in a place where we can worship together. And as bad as it gets here at times, it's so much better than it is around the world. Now, I'm not trying to get you to say, to feel guilty and give out of guilt. That's not my point. But what I want you to see is how much gratitude we should have for what God has done in our lives already. (coughs) Incredible. The blessings that we have. And we should have that gratitude that when God speaks, that we say, yeah, God, I'll do whatever you want. Because I trust you. You look what you've already done for me, God. I'm going to do this. I don't know where you are in your walk right now, but I do know this. Your church has a membership Sunday class coming up because they want to get involved in reaching out again. And That requires not your pastor to do something. That requires the body of Christ as a whole to do something. And God is calling you. God's put this burden on your pastor's heart. There are people around the world who need to hear. Your missionaries you have on the back wall, I thank you so much for all you've done supporting us. Samat's story is as much, you're as much a part of Samat's story as we are. Okay, because when you give to missions, you become partners in that. We can't all physically go, but we can all pray. We can all give. And I'm not asking you to do something because I tell you to do it. But what I am asking is that you pray and ask God to tell you what he wants you to do. Pray and seek God's voice and and guidance and do what he tells you to do. Not half-hearted, not grudgingly, but 100%. And do it with a grateful heart. And some things we already know God's told us to do. Because it's right there in his word. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. We can't all physically go, but we can all give. We can all pray. And I can tell you right now, the provincial capital of Guite needs to hear the good news. They're mainly Buddhist, but there's a large Muslim community there as well. In fact, the area where we were looking at, planning to probably put the, the church that we're going to start working to build, you turn one direction, you go about half mile to, there's the Buddhist temple, half mile the other direction is the Muslim mosque. I can tell you right now, nothing's going to happen without God's spirit moving. We need your prayers. We need you to pray with us and join with us in planting that church in Guype. We need your help. We need you. Not me, I shouldn't say that we need you. God is calling you to be a part of what He's wanting to do. The cool thing about it is you look at Jonah's attitude at the end, he's all bitter, ungrateful. God, just kill me now. Because he didn't participate. Now, what happens when you do participate? Here's the cool thing: if you remember the story of the talents that Jesus told, where he gives the one, he tells the parable about the master who's going away on a trip, gives one, one uh, servant five talents, one two talents, one one talent, and he goes away. You guys remember in this story? He comes back and he says, "What do you got?" The one guy's got five more. The one who had five has five more. The one who has two has two more. The one who has one, he had hit it and he didn't do anything with it. That's the one we usually talk about. I don't want to talk about him. The one that had the five and had five more. The one who had two and had two more. What what does his master say to him? He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Here's the, the cool part. Enter into the joy of your master. See, because that joy that God has when even one comes to know him, that all heaven rejoices. That joy can be in you. That joy is the joy you have when you participate and say, I want to do all I can to fulfill God's call. Those are your choices. Those are our responsibilities. And I want to challenge you to pray and ask God, God, use me. Show me what you want me to do and help me to do it 100%. Let's pray for a minute. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for all that you've done for us, Lord. We're grateful, Lord, that we know we don't deserve any of the things you've done for us. We don't deserve any of the, th- any of the blessings we've received by where we're born, by the families we've had, by the, 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 the access to the gospel that we've had. None of those are things that we've earned in any way. but we're thankful for your love and grace that you've given us, Lord. And Lord, as we've received your love and grace, help us to give love and grace to those around us. Right here in this community, as we become a part of the outreaches and the different things that the church is doing, the, the, the activities they're doing to uh, share your love with the people here and around the world, through the missionaries and ministries that we support, God, help us to do all that you want us to do. To be full on committed to seeing your will fulfilled. To to answering the call that you put on our lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to do what you're calling us to do. And show your love to those around us. And give us that peace and joy of knowing that we're resting in your hand, doing your will, fulfilling your call. Mm. We thank you, God. And we pray especially for the people in Guip today and in Cambodia, that you would have your hands on them and even now begin to plant the seeds of the gospel in that community, to open doors and give favor to us and to the Christians that are going to be working with us. And Lord, just have your will. Make a way in that. We thank you, Lord, for all you're going to do. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey 08079, or by visiting our website, at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.